folks. Welcome to episode three of Champs at the Lit with Mark and Max. This is a podcast by two lifelong friends, but they share passion for books. I'm Max, and uh, today we're going to be talking about The Topeka School by Ben Lerner. Uh, it came out in 2019. It's uh, Ben Lerner's third book. He's a poet. Um, this is his third uh, book of fiction. And it kind of forms a trilogy with the with the other two. Um, yeah, it's funny that yeah he's I think he thinks of himself as a poet, but at this point I imagine he's more well known for his fiction writing, probably just because the audience for fiction is much larger. But he's he's part of a group of like I don't know, I feel like sort of up and coming young novelists that get mentioned a lot. Yeah, I, I guess I don't know about that. I don't get those circulars, unlike Mark. <laughs> You know, I don't know who's up and coming. I just know I like his, uh, I like his work. <laughs> I can't really comment on his poetry, but it is interesting. I think you're right. Yeah, he, he thinks of himself as a poet, um, but he's definitely more well known for the fiction that he's written over the last few years. Yeah, I, I have comments on his poetry, but we can leave that to later on in the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, like I was saying, um, the books form a, a sort of trilogy. It's not totally clear whether it is the same protagonist. In fact, it's probably not. But um, you could, uh, I think you could make the case that it's it's like roughly the same male protagonist in each of the books. At a, um, you know, like in, in the first book, um, Leaving Atosha Station, he's uh, in his like early 20s. In the second book, he's probably in his like mid to late 20s. In the third book, a lot of it takes place during his time in high school, um, but the like narrator is telling it from the perspective of uh, I don't know, like mid thirties, you know, father, father of two. Um, yeah, I mean, like really, it's sort of autofiction, right? Like he's yeah, that's he's what it's been called. <laughs> basically, yeah, he's basically writing about his life. I mean, I think there there are a lot of authors that do this type of thing. Um, but he, I think, hasn't really explored beyond that. That At this point, most of his fiction is just like a fictionalized retelling of his life. Or it's set in his life with characters that are more or less populated by himself and people he seems to have known in settings he like lived in or like experienced. And then, I mean, obviously, like not all the characters are identical. The things that happen aren't necessarily drawn from his life. Um, right. But the like general setting uh and setup do seem to be based on his life right speaking of which yeah do you do you want to give us a sort of basic rundown of i don't know the what what happens in the book and uh where it's set and that sort of stuff yeah so this is set um he the the protagonist um is a uh teenager at this point he's in high school and it's set in uh, Topeka, Kansas, which is where Ben Lerner grew up. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there's a and lot it's like of just 1997 too, right? Isn't yeah, that? yeah, it's because late because it's 90s. like during the like Bob Dole Clinton uh, like race for the presidency and stuff like that, right. or like around that sort of time frame. Right. Um, and his parents work at this like kind of avant-garde. Uh, psychoanalysis institute based in Topeka, which is different than the rest of Topeka. Um, and so his, his, both of his parents play kind of important roles and um, have sort of their own, 
like chapters of narration with their own stories. Um, and then mm -hmm. the protagonist is a, a high school debater and uh, does competitive forensics as well. So competitive speaking. Mm -hmm. And that plays a pretty significant role in the story as, as do his friendships and some of the other uh, like people he goes to high school with. Yeah. Um, and but so it basically follows him what, during one like... year. Uh, it's like his senior year for the yeah. most part. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's mostly like the end of his senior year because it's, you know, when nationals are happening and he's sort of preparing to go and do that. Um, and yeah, there's also, also this sense that like... high school and yeah. like hometown and stuff like that. Right, right. There's this, you know, sort of he's going to go off and do other things. Some of his friends are, but a lot of people are going to stay there. I mean, there, there's a big divide, I think, between the like institute psychoanalysis people who are liberal and often, you know, from out of town and then the locals who are... Uh, much more conservative and have different, you know, values and life trajectories. Right. right. Um, the, the sort of extreme end of which is represented by the, uh, shoot, I can't remember his name, but what's the, like, what's the, <laughs> what's the like extremist pastor guy? Oh, uh, Fred Phelps. Is that it? Fred Phelps. Yep. Yeah. 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 So, so yeah. <laughs> right. the, so, so West that's Pro the Baptist sort of... is in the vicinity. Right. Um, and has, yeah, regularly protests at like, the funerals of say like a gay person who committed suicide and other sort of right, atrocious right, things. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think that that's pretty much the basic setup. Um, yeah. I mean, one of the, I think like uh, my take on Ben Lerner's work is that his books are not really about characters or plot so much as they are about ideas. Um, and that's yeah. not to say there is no character like there are no characters and the characters don't develop or there is no plot, although you maybe could make a case that there is no plot, uh, but that those those aren't the driving elements. You're not really there for the plot. You're there for the ideas. And in each book, he seems to have some like core themes he just wants to explore through different vignettes, through different characters, how they relate to those ideas or how they talk about them or whatever. Um, so like in this book, I think there's a lot of stuff about language um, and how we like at what point does language have meaning or like in what cases can we be engaging with language but it's meaningless um and then there's there's a lot of stuff about masculinity uh, as like a you know sort of teenage boy growing up in the late 90s um and you know sort of uh trying to become a man and then there's a lot of stuff uh maybe less so but there's also a running theme of psychoanalysis with his parents work uh, as they're both psychoanalysts and various things that happen in their lives or um, with the protagonist. Yeah. So I think, I mean, one of the things we wanted to explore a little bit was the, like the nature of the auto fiction, um, which I don't, I don't totally know where the lines are drawn between, uh, you know, so like a Roman Aklef or the different like forms of <laughs> yeah, like, autobiography or memoir or whatever. Like there's lots of stuff that's, you know, semi-fictionalized. Right. Yeah, I mean, I hadn't heard of the term autofiction before Ben Lerner's book. Um, I don't know, it, it came up in an interview that I heard with him, I think, on the, like, the Guardian book podcast. Um, I think, it, it, I mean, it describes his work well, but I don't know yeah. that it's like a unique... No. <laughs> you, know? yeah, you don't necessarily need a new term for his work. Right. Uh, and there are lots of authors, right, that, I don't know, you know... I mean, obviously, you know, some some uh, some writers are, I guess, more imaginative 
in that you know they you know invent these stories and characters that are totally you know outside the realm of anything that they've personally experienced mm-hmm. but even in that case you know you're still drawing on like how how do you as an individual sort of interact with the world and you know what are the you know various characters and types of people maybe you've met or something that you're then able to re you know incorporate in some way into your fiction i feel like with yeah. with uh with with learner's work it's more on the surface right because there are these very specific you know for instance that he he did himself grow up in topeka right he did go to nationals um in uh in extemp um all these sort of you know very specific things that are pretty much ripped directly from his life uh but yeah. i don't know that it's like uh i don't know that it's such a uh like a standout feature of his fiction, I guess. I don't know. I feel like it's maybe more common than people. Yeah. Like realize I, think, or... I think maybe it's relatively common. I think it's somewhat unusual for someone to write three different books that are all <laughs> similarly autobiographical, right. right? There's, there's some authors who only really write one book that is just like a semi-fictionalized account of their lives. Right. And then there are lots of authors who write, you know, lots of books that are have no relationship really to their lives other than, you know, obviously to some degree, everything's a bit derivative of their direct experience. Right. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's a little bit unusual. At least I can't think of anybody off the top of my head who has written three books that are all basically based on their own life experience, but that are not memoirs or, you know, sort of travelogues or whatever they are. Right. Um, I think, I mean, there's a strength because I think he's really able to bring to life certain times and experiences because he literally lived them i mean this is something we'll get into more but like we we met each other and grew up in kansas Mm -hmm. um i did debate all through high school and also extemp and most of the other events that he did um and so there's like a a part of what he describes that i really really understand i mean there are even like places he references and tournaments that he went to that i went to um so he's he's able to like though so it's like 10 years so like when you when you and and me for a year as well when we were doing debate stuff it's like 10 years after the events yeah. and uh, you know it's about a decade right do you feel like you know it's still i don't know for me it's like maybe i mean it definitely it feels familiar right because of that like personal like my personal life experience um but it also feels like of like there's enough distance that it's like a older generation that I don't know. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, there there are pieces of it. Honestly, the the parts that felt dated were the parts where like him and his high school friends would all stand around and like rap, um, <laughs> like you know there were there were there were, were things like that that you know sort of the emergence of hip hop as a really important force in suburban white male culture was like i think less prevalent but in the in the like late 90s was a a bigger deal right um so i think i think there uh there are elements like that that you can tell are you know dated to the time i think the specifics about the like debate tournaments didn't actually feel that different i think um someone who debated 10 years after us or even five years after us would say it feels very different because everything's gone digital Mm -hmm. um but most of what he describes in terms of like you know, yeah, you've got like a evidence. binder or tub of evidence, yeah, or like a binder with like magazine clippings that you're using to prep for, um, you know, a question about like the latest OPEC uh, crisis or whatever is like felt felt pretty re- relevant. Yeah. Um, 
I think, I mean, yeah, I think it, for me, sometimes it was just sort of distracting because I kept wanting to know, and I, I do this all the time with, you know, movies that are based on real people or books that are, you know, historical fiction is I get semi-obsessed with like which which things are fact which things actually happened like did his mom actually write a book that made her like really famous uh, in like psychoanalysis world answer yes um like Lerner is actually from Topeka he went and he won the national tournament in extemp in 97 he got sixth in LD um like the the debate topic is the same um I did like I went down this weird rabbit hole of his coach so there's this like former extemp champion that comes back to the high school to help him out, to help coach him. Yeah. Um, and there's this kind of weird dynamic where on the one hand, he's like a local legend and he yeah. was so, so good at, at extemp, just like this incredible public speaker. Yeah, but, but on the other hand, like studies his like video recordings of his, you know, um, winning performances to, yeah yeah he's, he's you know he just knows all this stuff he presents it really well he's a slick speaker um but there's also this this sense in which he's um so in, in some sense he, he's someone to be admired and in another sense he's someone to be sort of like pitied because yeah. it's like you know like the high school quarterback who can never move on from his glory days it's like you're still coming back to the high school and living yeah. up your yeah you he know, never really, really got good past at a that high school event point. yeah yeah, that, that that's makes, the sort of sense you get from his character. Like he he went off to like Harvard, I think, <laughs> right? I think so. Yeah, I think or or some Ivy League. Yeah, Harvard, well, Yale, somewhere. Reference, but you know, it's like yeah, you know, after high school he went off, he got a you know, a good degree somewhere, but still the sort of like uh, the best thing that he's achieved in life is uh, yeah, being really good at extemp in high school. Yeah, it, well, it's funny because I managed to figure out who this character is based on. So it's based on a guy named David Kensinger, mm -hmm. who did, in fact, win, win nationals twice in domestic extemp, uh, came back to Kansas and presumably coached a bit at high school. But, I mean, went to the same high school as Lerner. Mm -hmm. um, and so they, like, exact situation, a guy a couple years older who was kind of a legend in the um, space. And then uh, he comes back to Kansas and works on Brownback's campaign. Um and the book sort of references this, actually. It, it drops a reference to him working on for a governor that, you know, does sort of awful things for the Kansas economy, uh, yeah. which is basically true. And so he's now yeah. like kind of a Republican operative, um, but in kind of very a very local um, sort of low profile way um, and has worked on various Kansas Republican causes that haven't, you know, I don't know, been terribly successful. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, on Brownback's big thing, I think, was just like what, like cutting taxes, like to to the bone, and basically destroying funding for like any sort of public, uh, you know, the public school system and stuff. Like yeah, that. it was like a good it experiment just, in like libertarian right. governance. The idea being that like all the businesses failed. from like Missouri would switch and go over the border and be based out of Kansas instead, because the taxes would be so much better. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, that there would be this sort of boom in entrepreneurship as well uh, that just didn't happen. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, the I keep calling him the Ben Lerner character. I can't remember what his name is. <laughs> <laughs> what, what is his name? I pro we should probably have made it. Uh, we, should, we should look that up, yeah. Um, but we'll just continue to call him the Ben Lerner character because that's basically what he is. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think... Uh, that's sort of one of the things that like the, the Ben Lerner character is grappling with, right? Is that, you know, on the one hand, he I don't know, he, he doesn't really admire the the coach figure, but you know he respects his uh, I don't know, speaking ability, right? Right. 
Um, but you know, like you were saying, yeah, it's more of a more of a pitying sort of. Uh, I don't know. He, he doesn't the the coach character doesn't come off as being very sympathetic or you know a character that you really end up identifying with. Um, yeah. Yeah, he's very talented, but then I think on on the one hand, there's this sense that he's using his talent for ill, right? Because Mm -hmm. he's uh, working for causes that Ben Lerner politically doesn't agree with. Um, I think you and I are probably on the same side of that political divide. (laughs) Um, And then also, I think there's the sense that like, this guy just had a lot of potential and it doesn't really go anywhere. Um, And I I mean, I, I, I sort of feel this way too about, um, I mean, to some degree myself, but also lots of people I, I knew in high school or college that were clearly very smart um, and oh, had a lot of potential. Compliment yourself. You know, uh, and well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't starting to put myself in that you know, category. But, me and but all these other people who are there's a There's a set of people that had a lot of potential and I think it was easy to look around. And, you know, like I think you look at someone like that in high school and you're like, wow, he's going to go on and do big things. Like he's going to be president someday sort of thing. Right. And then you actually check in, you know, 10, 20 years down the line, and they're just a normal person with a normal job. Um, <laughs> and it does sort of make you wonder, like, you know, what what happened? Or was that, like, not a good signal of their yeah. potential I mean, achievement? This isn't, I don't think this is specifically, you know, something about, like, uh, policy debate or extent, you know, forensic stuff. Um, but there, there is probably, like, a disconnect between, like, being really good at those, like, particular activities Mm-hmm. right and then that doesn't you know necessarily translate to i don't know success in life or success in other in other ways it's more I like a, i mean you would like you a particular would... skill that like um you know guys like uh <laughs> the coach figure or you know ben larger character like get really good at and you know one of one of the things about you know and you could probably say you know about uh, ben larder himself is that he's a he's a person that sort of uh you know, he's gone beyond that, right? Like as an yeah. individual, right? Being a you know successful author and and stuff like that. Yeah, and he does. Yeah, I mean, in a way, he sort of evolves beyond the constraints right. of the activity. The the um, like coach is like a figure that like you know the Ben Lerner character could have become himself, right? He could right. have become this like uh, you know character that was sort of defined by what he did in high school, and then yeah. at least and from I, the perspective of the book, doesn't end up doing anything good with his life in the sense of like going and working for Brandbacks campaign which of course right. is you know and there and there are people who but, you know they I mean, they find something like that in high school and they do just sort of continue doing that for the rest of their lives i mean i i know people who you know got into debate in high school and even now they basically still are just in that activity whether you know they did it when they were college students and then they graduated and then they got graduate degrees in education or communications or something basically so they could continue coaching and then they take a you know assistant professorship somewhere basically so they can be a coach. I think I mean people people do similar things with like athletics, right? That you can pursue coaching or right. um, you know like I think you can get super involved in something and, and continue doing it for a long time. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Anyway, my brother, for example, or one of my brothers, he was, he played baseball in college, and then uh, he went to grad school too. But you know that was sort of all he wanted to do is you know sort of be in the baseball world, and now he's a coach at a community college yeah um yeah and i think the like the it's it, the stuff with learner is interesting because you can see his 
fascination with language like evolved beyond like it starts with debate it seems like mm-hmm. that an element of policy debate in particular is that people speak really quickly so that they can make as many arguments as possible in a particular time limit um, right. with the idea that if you can make you know 10 more arguments than your opponent then you are more likely to win because they can't adequately answer those arguments if uh, they are not as fast or efficient as you right um, it's called the uh, the spread yeah, I mean, maybe we can just get that's, into that. Yeah, uh, but I mean, he, that, that's he, the idea I think, is to I think spread, his, spread the opponent, right? Like you're saying, you make so many thin, arguments yeah. that they physically can't <laughs> respond to all of them, which yes. in policy debate terms means it's been dropped. But uh, right, so you know. so he he gets really involved in this activity that is well, several activities that are obsessed with language from different perspectives. Mm-hmm. And he, he at some point kind of compares the different ways that they think about that. And then he, you know, becomes a freestyle rapper. And then, uh, you know, at some point, I mean, the actual Ben Lerner becomes a poet, right? Which right. I think indicates this, yeah, that the, the, the core fascination with language has never really gone away. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, if there is a... I don't know, a unifying theme to this to this work in particular. It's about the use of language, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah. he has this, like... I think he kind of ends up uh, being pretty critical of the spread, although he... Oh, yeah. I mean, then... I don't even think kind of. I think that's pretty... That's, I think that's the pretty clear message from his book, or that's his, <laughs> you know, not only Ben Lerner's perspective as an individual, but the character... The character of Ben Lerner in the book's perspective. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah. I mean, he, I don't think he would say that, like, you know, you shouldn't do policy debate and you shouldn't do the spread. <laughs> he might. I mean, so so. But, but the, there is one there of the, is this like the only um, debate round like you really get to sit world. in on, right? Is this debate round where his mom is watching, his parents are watching? This is this is kind of an interesting thing. So my my dad was a debater in uh, high school and college, and so he was pretty involved in debate when i was doing it mm-hmm. um but my mom had never participated and i've always regretted that i never let her watch any of my rounds you never um, let her watch wow no she or, would sometimes be like oh can i watch it. and like i don't know it, it, it's, it's not really a spectator activity like people don't really go and watch that's not a thing um i think there i mean there were a couple rounds that i wish she had been able to watch um but i didn't know at the time that i was going to be in those rounds because they were like you know sort of elimination rounds at the state tournament or something that were, you know, hours away. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I never let her watch because it is such an inaccessible, I was like, you, you know, it wouldn't mean anything to you. It's just me speaking incomprehensibly fast for right. eight minutes at a time. Um, but yeah, so his, his mom's in the room. Uh, I guess both of his parents are, mm-hmm. and he makes this sort of like really impassioned case against the spread. And she's like really emotionally affected by uh, the, I mean, well, sincerity just to set it of his up argument. More, I don't know if you mentioned, but this is like he's doing um, Lincoln Douglas debate, right? Which is a different style of debate. It's basically more slowed down. It's supposed to be more focused on uh, the arguments that you're making. It's like value value arguments, um, and you know he's just sort of doing this on the side while he's at nationals for extemp. Um, and the the other the his opponent in this particular round is using the spread, which is usually something only used in policy debate, but he's introducing it to Lincoln Douglas. And, you know, the Ben Lerner character, his whole his whole argument ends up being about, you know, whether 
the the spread should be used in a, in a policy debate or not in policy in a uh, Lincoln Douglas value debate, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think I mean the one bit of context I'll add here is that this is something that happens every twenty years, <laughs> is that somebody invents a new form of debate because they're upset about the spread. Right. Uh, and so at first it was Lincoln Douglas debate. It was like, okay, we're going to make this this new debate form that's not going to have anybody spreading in it. But any time that you have an activity that is people arguing with each other and they have a time limit, the incentive is for them to speak more quickly, particularly if the people uh, well, judging them they got are penalized in some way for speaking to a quickly. I mean, you could change the incentive. Sure. That by, would be, that by, would be a tough you know. incentive to enforce because I don't know how you're going to track how quickly somebody's talking. Um, sure. I mean, but, it could be by like, I don't know, having, I mean, one of the limitations on the spread, right, is that like uh, in... Uh, often in like earlier rounds of debate, you have less, uh, you have you more kind of lay lay judges. You know, people that may not have debated themselves and aren't familiar right. with the spread can't handle it. And it's only, and it's often only in later rounds where maybe you have a judge that um, right. Once you get a coach or a former yeah. debater, right. um, then you know that they can comprehend what you're saying, and your incentive is to go quickly. Right. Um, and so anyway, that happened with Lincoln Douglas. And so Lincoln Douglas at this point goes pretty quickly. It's, it's not as fast as policy even now, but it is fast, uh, particularly at the more uh, competitive levels. Uh, so then they invented public forum debate invented by Ted Turner. Uh, right. He like sponsored this, this whole new form of debate. Was uh, this like more re like in the past decade or something? Or? Yeah, I think it may have started about the time that we were debating. Uh, and it, it sort of took off in popularity, but even that now people speak faster and faster because you've got the same kids debating, you've got right. the same coaches judging, and you've got the same incentive structure, which is to go as fast as possible. Anyway, all this to say, this is like, I think for him to like go after this Lincoln Douglas debater is like ruining the sort of core <laughs> integrity of this new form of debate is like a little bit silly. Yeah. Uh, Although we have to remember that, you know, he's writing this, you know, it's 1997, 96, so... You know, at the time that he's writing, maybe this was more of a. Um, I don't sure, know. but like this, this, this was an argument that happened in policy when the spread first started, right? Like when when my dad was debating. Uh, okay. This is like, like, these arguments have been hashed and rehashed so many times, and right. look who won, wins every time. I guess that's true. Yeah, you don't really get that perspective. That's not something that I particularly knew myself either. I mean, I don't know. Anyway, uh, so that's the round. This other kid starts like. <laughs> speaking incomprehensibly fast right. to make a million arguments so that Ben Lerner can't respond. Right. And Ben Lerner is capable of responding at that speed. Uh, he just, in this case, chooses not to right. and makes this case that, like, you are speaking so quickly that we can't have a meaningful conversation about values. Right. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, I, you know, this is part, this ties into the rest of the book because, um, I don't know, or he, the, the Ben Lerner character sort of, expands us out to being a sort of critique of of contemporary society as well right that yeah. like uh the the spread for him represents what's wrong with with politics with advertising um you know all the sort of i don't know annoyances of modern life you could almost say of like you know <laughs> the million yeah, it's like the fine print that you don't actually want of, people to pay attention to Right. And with politics, it isn't so much that like politicians are, you know, speaking extraordinarily fast to drown their constituents in words. It's more that whatever they're saying is kind of meaningless. Um, yeah, this you know, this to me is almost the opposite of, of the, the policy spread is mm -hmm. that he, he uses extemp as the example here that like 
they don't speak fast they speak slow and it's very pretty like yeah that's you know true. like, yeah, like this, is, this is the whole point of extemp is that you are very you use pretty analogies and turns of phrase and you're very eloquent and you never pause and, and, and you, before that we should say that like the, the basic premise of extemp is that you're given a topic to talk about and then you have what like 30 minutes to prepare mm-hmm. a speech or like what's like five to seven minute speech yep um, yeah yeah you, you prepare and memorize a speech right right you're supposed to deliver it without notes or you have to deliver it without notes yeah and it's generally and it, about like a current affairs topic right um, right and and so it is like it does end up being like somewhat fatuous like the the level of knowledge that you can have uh on some particular international topic like isn't very high so i remember when we were doing it for instance um there was an election happening in palestine between fatah and hamas uh, i didn't know <laughs> yeah, the difference. We, we debated that in student congress too I remember. yeah uh, <laughs> and so the you know we had a couple articles from time or wherever that like talked about these things and then you basically have like a, a store book of stock phrases and pretty quotes. And then you spend a half hour right. turning whatever the facts like are in those articles few... into like a pretty thing that you like. You make like a case, you make a case for something, but you're not really worried about whether your case is valid. You're worried about whether you can make it sound good. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say, yeah, you often you would often also have like set sort of intros, right, where you have some sort of like. I don't know, metaphor or like yep. tie-in or like song lyrics that you use as like your intro into the Yeah, topic I mean, the, the, like, like the worst one that everyone would use would be like, with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> like, I mean, they're high schoolers. So like for the most part, right. they're not very eloquent, which is why when you see someone who won domestic step twice, he's going to be very, very good, right? Like 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 the people who win, yeah, are are sort of professional level orators. Uh, and right. and the, yeah, they... And, they, they, they Come up with very good speeches very quickly. <laughs> yeah, or I don't know, they, or at least they give the appearance of being very good. I mean, that that's sort of his critique, right? Is that right. it's often not, uh, you know, it's uh, the substance often isn't there um, to, yeah. the, to these speeches, right? Because you just might not know a lot. You know, they're often very obscure topics that really very few people would be able to speak about eloquently you know, with 30 minutes of preparation. Um, And I don't know, you know, one of the, one of the sort of, I don't know, central scenes, but like uh, part part of the book is about his preparation to go to nationals for extent. That's Mm -hmm. what the Ben Larner character is really good at. That's what he's supposed to win, um, win nationals in is extent. And that's what the debate coach um, the debate coach is there to help him with extent, not right. you know, not debate. Um, and yeah, there, there's a point at which you know during during those sort of interactions, right, you know, where it's you know part of the advice is that you know, for example, always give a uh, <laughs> always give a title, like an uh, always give a publication title for something mm-hmm. that you're saying. And, yep. and try to use something like the Cleveland Plain Dealer, right? Not the New York Times. <laughs> which, which um, I, it doesn't yeah, matter it's if definitely it was actually not the type quoted of... in the Cleveland Plain Dealer or the St. Louis Dispatch. It's more about just having those like credentials behind what you're saying, which you probably, or not, maybe not probably, but you might well have just invented. Um, and, yeah. and, and there's no like fact checking, right? There's no, no fact no, no. checking. Yeah, you can say, yeah. Debate. It's all just... Right. It, you know, I don't, it's not that it's without substance, you know, you have to know a few things, I think, to give sure. a speech, 
but it's it's a it's a form of public speaking and that really the emphasis is on you know how well can you deliver a speech and how authoritative can you sound yes it's not about at the end of the day you know nobody's going to fact check all your sources or even like really evaluate your arguments no yeah i mean you have to like you can't sound (laughs) totally crazy but you can more or less say whatever as long as you like say the economist said it a week ago and and... what i was saying earlier about like i you know i I think i i don't know i mixed it up necessarily but yeah his, his critique of like the spread and policy debate is he extends that into like you know the world of like advertising and then right. his critique of extent, he extends into the world of politics. And that, yeah. you know, for him, a politician like Bob Dole, for example, who, you know, his character, the Ben Lerner character, meets at, like, one of his uh, mm-hmm. debates. Um, and, you know, Bob Dole gives this, like, totally meaningless speech. And it's that sort of, like, politics that he's critiquing, too. It's, like, politicians that can talk eloquently. Not that Bob Dole could actually talk eloquently. But, you know... <laughs> Are, are are good at talking on their feet, but they're not actually saying anything substantive. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I mean, for me, this is, I, I think that's a reasonable distinction, which is why, I, you know, if I have to choose between sounding pretty and speaking really quickly, I would rather, like, I, I would choose the spread every time because it, I mean, his main argument is that it's incomprehensible to the public, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's bad like you know like like an astrophysics concert uh, conference would be incomprehensible to the public but like that doesn't mean they shouldn't use their jargon uh or talk about things with equations because it's still a useful way for them to engage about those topics um in the same way i mean don't get me wrong i think there are cases where this isn't true but there are like the ability to make 10 times as many arguments in a round makes the argument makes the round 10 times as interesting you know it's like it's like playing chess with four pieces versus playing chess with all the pieces uh there are just more things you can do it's going to be more interesting um Um, i think we should mention you know so again the the theme of like speech language you know it it goes throughout the book it's not just mm -hmm. about um policy debate and extent and lincoln douglas um some of the things we wrote down right um or or kind of interesting things to note right that is so his both his his father and his mother work at this like psychological institute in Topeka, mm-hmm. and his father's research it's about um, or the sort of the way he gains entry into that world is doing research on like audio that's sped up, and then it's played back it's played to people that are listening and then they convince themselves like the, the participants in the study are, are they're supposed to repeat the audio that they've heard right and he increasingly speeds it up and speeds it up and he finds that people start just speaking gibberish um back to him thinking that they're repeating what he's saying right it's a very funny scenario i mean i have no idea if it has any grounding in psychological (laughs) reality but i love the idea that this guy's dissertation is yeah just like him playing really 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 fast audio and then people trying to keep up with him and then like eventually they just break down and they're saying nothing but they think they're still saying and uh, there's a there's a lot of there's a number of instances right where that's sort of the theme of like speech breaking down there's the stuff with his mom talking about her um stuff that may or may not have happened in her past and remembering that she's like talking to one of her friends and her speech starts to break down right there's the stuff after like adam that's his name <laughs> yep the main character, ben adam, character yeah. after he has a fight with one of his friends and then he's sort of speaking gibberish like after that 
Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's just like masculine gibberish about, like, right. oh, come on, you do. Right. Right. And then right. Uh, I mean, he, he also gets a concussion and like can't speak after that, forgets people's That's names, right. and then gets yeah. these migraines where he like slurs his speech and like can't right. read. Um, so again, it's about sort of the, I don't know, the, the loss of speech, I guess, or the yeah. ability and, to articulate, um, you know, your thoughts or to, to speak, uh, I don't know, to speak clearly. Yeah. Or even the existence of speech that has no meaning. Right. Sure. That like, and, and he, I think he brings this up a number of times in relation to politics because he, he writes the, I mean, he, he literally writes the book in like 2017, 2018. And so he re- references Trump and Palin in sort of like the contemporary era um, and talks about similar things about how like their speech doesn't have really content. It's just mm-hmm. sort of these like meaningful, meaningless like catchphrases and slogans and whatever that are just sort of strung together. Right. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I love the idea of his dad's dissertation being uh, what he says is under conditions of information overload, speech mechanisms collapse. And I think to some degree, that's the commentary. I mean, that's part of the commentary on modern society, right? Is that just right. like there's too much information, too many people, like there's too much stuff. And the our ability to make meaning and communicate that meaning is breaking down. And so now we're just left with the form of meaning, right? Which I think maybe can apply to both policy spread and extemp that you are left with this form of like, I'm going to produce sounds that sound eloquent or that sound like really fast speech, but there's no right. real meaningful content there. There's nothing yeah. to engage with. Yeah, I think that is sort of the central, the yeah. central idea of the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's something that he yeah, explores a lot. Um, let's uh let's talk about masculine culture yeah i was going to say that's another another big theme of the book yeah that is a big thing and i think (laughs) i mean it it relates to the language both in that that fight scene that he has where he's confronting his friend right um, and then also uh what he calls wigger rap battles um (laughs) which i hesitate to say that word uh (laughs) but i i i I mean i mean that's that's the best way to describe them because that's what it is it's a bunch of suburban (laughs) <laughs> yeah and, and this I mean, this this was to... I, I have no idea if this is still in circulation among <laughs> high schoolers but when i was a high schooler in kansas that was a term people would say um <laughs> in in referring to people who try to adopt hip-hop culture right. um while not clearly not being from that culture i mean at, at this point we probably say they appropriate like at culture. the time that he's writing this like 1996 97 or Right, rap is relatively relatively new. I mean, like um, to to that sort of like introducing that to that like white suburban cultural, media. right, right. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, rap had gone not like mainstream, but it was past the point of the '80s where it was very localized, right? Like it's right. it was it was a national phenomenon, right? Um, and so yeah, one of one of him and his friends' ways of being masculine. I mean, what he says is that the, the main character is able to be masculine. Uh, even though he doesn't get in fights, even though he doesn't do some of the other things that you normally need to do to well, establish and he, and masculine he's not street like cred. A, he's not an athlete. You know? Right. He'd right. He's he, not, he, yeah, he's not fast. He's not strong. He's not in the locker room. He's not impressive. Uh, I mean, there in, is, there is a part of it where, you know, he's, uh, <laughs> I mean, he is also clearly like interested in, I don't know, physical fitness or whatever. Sure. Like that's, that's, a, that's not like totally separate, but his like right. entree into the like popular crowd in uh in his school and his uh um you know among his peers is is his ability to use language um right in this you know he's able to translate it from this very you know let's be honest kind of dweebish activity (laughs) debate (laughs) 
uh, into something that's got more uh, cultural cachet, right? Um, yeah, yeah. It, it, there are also these funny instances where he'll use it to try to like bully people. I mean, he even sort of says, or his yeah. mom sort of talks about how her son is a bully. She doesn't totally know what to do about it. That I mean, yeah. in debate, you're yeah, kind of allowed like to bully people. Yeah. yeah, he bullies his girlfriend. I mean, in in a debate round, right? He, you can make fun of the other person. Uh, <laughs> like, there's no rule against that. It might like the judge might not like it, and they may decrease your speaker scores, or like in a really terrible scenario, make you lose the round. But right. in general, like you can be a pretty awful person. Like you, you can you can be a jerk in a debate round and get away with it. And a lot of people do, and they really enjoy that because they're like, I'm a deb- better debater, and so I will still win this round, and I can make right. you look terrible. Um, and then he tries to do it with his parents. He does it at school, right? That sort of like his his verbal animosity um is a way to like either vent aggression or more likely to like stave off any revelation of his insecurities right yeah like i think that's a pretty like common way for young men to act out is that they don't want to be seen as weak Uh, they need to be seen as you know able to be threatening so nobody else can gang up on them and the way to do that is to be offensive yeah, he he has all these like kind of uh, guy versus guy, either imaginary or real violent scenarios. Mm-hmm. Like there are a lot of like there's there's the weird case. I think this is pretty early on where he's meeting with this therapist and he just has this kind of like mental fantasy of like beating <laughs> of, the like, therapist up, like for no particular reason. He's not mad at him. He's just like, what if this happened? Like just right. you know, um, yeah. And I don't know what. <laughs> what I what I wrote down or what I noticed, I think, in in a way, that's what the daring character sort of that's the in a way the role he fulfills. He's like the he's the unmitigated id of masculine violence. Unmitigated, like he, yeah. You know he he you know uh, the Adam character. He's got a lot of I don't know tamped down violence, you might say, or like aggression. But he's like working yeah. not to just like explosively <laughs> uh, express. <laughs> right uh but the daring character who i don't know it's not clear from the book but you know probably has some sort of developmental issue where you know he's not totally um he doesn't have like 100 percent mental capacity um and he's just not quite able to like understand um like the sort of social cues mm-hmm. around him and part of the way that manifests and i mean the like the culminating, you know, manifestation of that is the like act of violence um, with the cue ball. Yeah. Um, but it's sort of like uh, I don't know, you know, I don't know that there. I mean, there's there's clearly like a difference between the Darren character and the Adam character, um, but maybe not as much of a difference, right? Yeah, I think the it, it seems like the Adam character is trying to play out scenarios without actually like his he's like predicting or imagining like could i do this could i take this person how does this person think of me and darren doesn't have those multiple levels he's just sort of like i'm a man and if you don't think i'm a man like i'm gonna beat you up and prove it kind of thing like there's no sort of like imagining he just like lives in a particular reality and if somebody uh contradicts that reality he has to sort of reassert his own reality um I don't know. I yeah. I, I I like his his the way he talks through those things because I think, I mean, I don't know that I experienced them all in quite the same way, but I think they do really speak to a to a genuine part of like 
the male experience in America. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so there's there's like he he's in the store with his mom, right? And he meets this guy who's like from a rival high school, and like mm-hmm. there have been some who's, like, uh, whose friend they beat up at a yeah they like beat party. up this guy's friend, but this <laughs> like guy's a also a wrestler. Um, and so Adam is sort of looking, kind of sizing him up, being like, could I take him? Uh, which I think is a common, a common thing that guys think about, uh, you know, yeah, like, could I, yeah. could I beat and this it, person in a fight or would they beat me? Like, where do I stand in the sort of physical yeah. pecking order here? Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's sort of, it's maintaining a front, right? That's, that's sort of the way in which the Adam character, um, you know, <laughs> I don't know. That's, that's his sort of basic interaction with other males <laughs> right yeah yeah you're trying, you know, you're like, trying like to establish any, yourself. any unknown unfamiliar you know not necessarily with his you know his friends people that you know he knows but like you know somebody from a different high school that he doesn't really know his immediate response is you know well physically could i uh uh could i take this individual yeah yeah but, even, but even the scene ends friends, in I think you there's know, like... humor right that, yeah you know their moms show up <laughs> and it ends yes. up being this like uh you know i don't know emasculate <laughs> emasculating you know kind of uh, right right you yeah. know how do i hold the creatine you know this massive creatine container that i thought i, I thought that was a up. that was a like fun detail too because uh, <laughs> I, I think that's something that happens a lot with like micro adjustments to your behavior to conform to a particular image there was a there was a um, reddit thread i saw once where someone was just like what are what is something you like have been like it's totally normal that you've been told makes you look gay or that you like stopped doing because that's like that's like a common thing on the playground or like you know when you're younger the people are like oh like if you do that that way i, I, I remember for instance someone once asked me uh this must have been elementary school how do you look at your nails like to see if they're too long and <laughs> And like, do you look at them sort of? Uh, I don't know how to describe this on audio. Oh, yeah. With your, what, with your hands splayed out in front of you, with your with, with your like palm your away palm from you, facing you, or your palm facing you with them curled. Look at with your the back of your hand facing. Exactly. You. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> and, and of course, the version that, I chose, I was told, was gay, because uh, <laughs> that's how girls do it. Um, and so there, there's there's I mean yeah there's a whole like world of like kind of men policing other men yeah. uh, and trying to make themselves seem more masculine. Um, and I, I thought the like how he holds the creatine cr- uh, tub is a great example of that because it happens all the time in these like micro ways of right. yeah like oh I'm gonna hold this differently to make it look more masculine yeah yeah and um, and that's the way the book sort of ends too right it ends with yeah. one of these uh, scenes which it sort of combines some of the language stuff that we're talking that we've been talking about and the um, you know masculine culture issues of you know how do you <laughs> No, it's basically like how do you interact with the unknown male <laughs> in yep. the world? You know, the the ending scene is he meets, you know, he's with his daughters at a playground, and there's a boy that's not sharing the playground equipment, the slide, with the other children. So you know, first um, Adam tries to you know negotiate with the child, but the child can't be reasoned with. So then you know he finds the adult that he presumes is attached to the child. And tries negotiating with him and you know the adult just won't he won't do anything about it um and then you know in his head he's like going ballistic but he's trying to he's trying to use his best language um his best institute language right that's another sort of thing that keeps coming back is that you know 
his parents have tried to teach Adam to, you know, I guess, you know, go about yeah. the world a different way, right? Right, use which, these which, kind which of psychoanalytic like, frameworks to have right. a healthier relationship with emotions and other people right. and whatever. Right, and that's that's what he talks about in numerous cases where, you know, he's trying to use his best uh, institute language, sometimes yep. against his parents, right? Sure. That's, that's one of the ways he sort of manipulates language. Um, but yeah, you know, at the end of the day, it just doesn't work. There's nothing you can do to budge this guy, and he has to just walk away. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, which is and which maybe is that's in, the lesson. In, I don't know, you know. Right to to the high schooler him would have been a you know true capitulation of his manhood. Right, right. or maybe the but high like, school version of him would have beat up the the dad character. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Th- 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 that's what I mean. It's like walking away is just giving like that's right. You know, that's the the least manly thing to do. Right, uh, aside from like crying or something. I don't know, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like I don't. Yeah, I think I think having. I haven't had an identical experience, but it is one of those things that like, you know, is the right thing to do, but is so contrary to like some kind of deeply ingrained part of you that even (laughs) doing the right thing isn't that satisfying, right? Like him, him like walking, I mean, I don't know, maybe, maybe it felt differently for you reading the book, but my, the way I internalized it was like, yeah, he made the right decision. He didn't beat the guy up, which is the wrong thing to do. However, (laughs) this was not like a satisfying outcome. Like this is not how we wanted things to end. It probably would have been more satisfying to beat the guy up. Oh, I don't Uh, know. Yeah. But I think that, you know, that would have been fitting with the book. I, I actually, I'm just sort of thinking about this now that actually like his sort of walking away. Like as much as it, I mean, it really, it obviously really grates on, um, on Adam, on the character in the book. Sure. Like, I mean, it grates on me as a reader. Right. Like that, that like, this that, kid that just gets probably, away with bullying kids. And the, right. But that like, yeah. you know, <laughs> he wouldn't have gotten anything by beating up the dad. Right. <laughs> no. You no. know, so the, the, the sort of the quote unquote correct response to that scenario is just to walk away. And forget about sure. it. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's deeply unsatisfying, <laughs> but it is the correct response. And right. and yeah, there there probably isn't a more satisfying option at that point. Like somebody's just being a jerk. Like there, yeah, there aren't really like satisfying ways to deal with that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, I thought he did, I don't know. I, I think the book does like a really good job of exploring those sorts of like aspects of masculinity. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think we pretty much, we talked about most, most of the stuff that we wrote notes about, I think. This yeah. is this is a pretty good place to end it, but we can we can end with sort of why we think it's a good book, I guess. Or no, we we've been talking about it, but um, I mean, hey, I just really like his work. I like his yeah. writing. Um, like you, I do identify with his character. Probably not, maybe as much. I've also had a different. <laughs> I don't know. Like uh, maybe you disagree, but I feel like your your and Ben Lerner's life trajectories fit sort of more of a piece versus you know my life trajectory that's probably true um, right. i mean I, I i literally live in brooklyn probably <laughs> like five blocks away from where he lives right <laughs> uh, you went to ivy league colleges stuff like yeah. that um, i work at the same park slope food co-op that he does that's right that's right you know <laughs> yeah yeah i mean yeah, we both, uh, and we also both just like a different high school. school experience you know i dropped out of high school um so yeah I, I literally went to the tournaments he talked about it's funny he like <laughs> debates teams from where i'm from and talks about how like oh yeah the rich kids from kansas city dress more casually which is totally a thing yeah. the kids from topeka like him always wore full suits and then we would roll up with like you yeah. know no tie and yeah anyway yeah but i do think i mean a i think he's 
I think he's a very talented writer. And yeah. And I, I think some people take it, it's a sort of knock on him, right? That it is autofiction, that it's like too much, um, you know, just ripped from his own life. Mm. Um, but, you know, for me, that, that, A, that doesn't bother me. And, um, and I think, I don't know if it's because it is more, you know, autofiction, but I really think one of the, one of the best things he, he's able to do in the book is that he's able to really inhabit the mind of, you know, his parents. The mm-hmm. chapters that are written from the perspective of his dad and perspective of his mom, I mean, it's hard to it's hard to. Yeah, know. we didn't even get into their like love triangle, which is a whole thing. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, he. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, the I don't know, the the massive audience for this podcast shouldn't be led astray in thinking that you know the entire book is about uh, Adam yeah. and the debate and. The yeah. Extent. That said, I think I think one of the reasons I like his work is that it is short. Um, I mean, that's, you know, long books are good too. Um, but I, I appreciate that he can pack so much into not a ton of space. There are a lot of ideas. It's very interesting. Um, you really get a sense for the place and the characters and how they Mm -hmm. feel and relate to each other. Um, and it doesn't take like weeks to read. Um, you can digest it pretty, pretty easily. Yeah. Yeah. The sort of the way he's way he's able to sort of construct the inner world of you know again it's not just the adam character it's his his parents darren um i don't know maybe, maybe it's just really those four characters that he like yeah. tells the story from their perspective but uh yeah yeah you really get a sense done. yeah for how his parents think about him and each other and right. their work um and sort of what they want out of life and yeah, it's all done very seamlessly in a way that doesn't feel like exposition. It's not heavy-handed, but it's also there is a fair amount of like just straight introspection from people. Yeah, and I want to say, you know, as compared to his first two books, those are all just told, I think, a hundred percent from the like the Ben Lerner slash Adam mm-hmm. character's um, perspective. Um, there is no d- diving into the perspective of the other characters in the book. I don't know. Yeah. There's a way in which his, his fiction is sort of growing with him as an individual. I think you could say, right. That like, yeah, as he, you know, over the last few years, he's gotten older, he's had kids, things like that. He's able to, he's been able to maybe access that. And maybe the reason he didn't write, he didn't write his earlier books in that way is that he didn't feel like he could really access, uh, you know, the minds of, um, his like partners or you know his parents or yeah. even other characters apart from himself yeah i've, I've only read 1004 which i liked quite a bit and is from a more i mean he's telling the story of a more mature self um but right. i think i mean but it stays within his mind the whole time right yeah. the, 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 that character yeah i also i also I mean to your point earlier i think i just like this book the most because it tells parts <laughs> of my life uh <laughs> You know, they're, they're, they're just things it talks about that I've never read a book that talks about right. know, sort of aspects of my own personal experience. Um, and so it spoke to me in a way that would be hard for another book to do. Right. Um, well, shit. So, uh, yeah, strong, strong recommend. <laughs> it's a good book. Short. Good book. There's a lot to it. Yeah, it's plot heavy. It's plot driven. You know, it's all about yeah. the plot. 100%. Yeah, it's like picture the Da Vinci Code, but in rural yeah. Kansas. Yeah, there's lots of, um, you know, it takes lots of twists and turns. Yeah. Unexpected surprise. <laughs> yeah.
Hey folks, Max here. Thanks for listening to Champs at the Lit. Thanks to Wes Braver for creating our theme music. In our next episode, we will be talking about Aurora by Kim Stanley Robinson. Aurora is a sci-fi novel about the journey of a multi-generational starship and the attempt to establish life on a new planet. Please join us for that discussion, and thanks again for listening.